Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. I'm really honored to be preaching here this morning. This church is like family uh, to me, and, uh, and so it's, a, it's an honor. This is my wife, Christina, down here on the front row. Uh, she's amazing. And uh, we have a little baby, Natalie Joy, who br- just brings joy to everybody. So we had to show a picture. And, uh, and so love my family. They're incredible. Being a dad, being a husband is, is such a joy. So, um, yeah, I'm also, I also went to TCU, just FYI. Uh, go Frogs. Um, I don't know if y'all know, but we won a game yesterday. Uh, uh, I, uh, I felt a tug on my heart to preach, not Romans 8, but Exodus 8, where it says the frogs came upon them and all their people. But um, I, I realized that the tug was not the Lord, it was me. So we didn't do that. No, I'm excited to preach this morning. We're finishing out the Death to Life series. We've been going through Romans 5 through 8, uh, which is an incredible, uh, incredible thing. So I want to recap it real quick. Uh, and the overall message of Romans is that there's been a mystery that's been revealed, and that's that there is freedom from sins uh, through Jesus Christ. And so Romans 5 talked about how Adam, through Adam, sin entered all of humanity. Uh, but just like that, through Jesus forgiveness of sins entered through, through all of humanity. And so Romans 6 says that we were actually buried with Jesus, are dead to our sin, and that we were raised to new life with him. And so we're no longer under sin. It's dead to us, but now we're under righteousness. And so Romans 7, he, he talks specifically to the Jews and says, hey, the law is no longer over you because it's been fulfilled. It did what it was supposed to do. It marked out sin, but it actually drew out sin so it could be dealt with. And then we get to Romans 8, and Jamie introed it last week, uh, that we are now a adopted into the very family of God. It changes everything. But we decided to split up Romans 8 because it's kind of a big chapter and there's a lot of stuff going on. So we, so I get the privilege of kind of finishing us up here. And really, here's what I want to say is that Paul is preaching the good news of Jesus, but he's really trying to say it's not just good, it's great. It's not just great, it's glorious. It's so much better than anyone of us could know. And so that's what, that's what I'm trying to preach today is the unknowable riches of Jesus. But, uh, but here's what he's really trying to finish it up with here, if I had to say at the end of Romans 8, is he's trying to say that all of this that he said, all this that Paul has written, it comes through the context, the lens of the kingdom. And not just the kingdom, but a kingdom that is now and not yet. Okay, so I'm going to say those things a lot today. Kingdom and now and not yet. Because I think it's important for all of us to know these things. Why? There's a few different reasons. First of all, Jesus preached the kingdom. Okay, so if Jesus was saying it, it's probably important. Right? Jesus shows up, Mark 1.15, and he says, The kingdom has come near. The kingdom is at hand, okay? And then all of his life, he's trying to show you what it looks like to be a kingdom person, a kingdom citizen. And then uh, through the church, uh, we are inaugurating in that, that victory that Jesus won on the cross. We are, and so it's now, right? Jesus says the kingdom is here. It's come near. And yet it's also not yet. We're working this thing out, being kingdom people through the church. And so it's an important message for all of us because Jesus was preaching this. And, and I think, you know, all of us have probably experienced miscommunication in our life, but I think the fact that, that kingdom terminology can be a little uncommon to Christians today, that's a problem, 
right? Jesus was very clear. The kingdom is here. And so if, what if the believers had said, well, Jesus, like, that's great, but um, can I just be like a visitor to the kingdom? Like, can I just visit once a week? Is that, is that cool? And he's like, no, that's not what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen, right? And you're like, okay, totally, totally, Jesus. But um, is the king going to tell me what to do? Because that's kind of a deal breaker, right? These are the ty- these are the types of ways that we interact with the Lord. And I'm not saying that to bless the church or anything. I love the church, but I'm just saying that we all need to realign to what Jesus actually said, right? All of us at certain times in our life just need a little realignment. The church in Rome needed a little realignment. That's what Paul's trying to do here. And second, why is this important to know the kingdom lens? It's because Paul is trying to bring Gentiles and Jews together. Through this passage. Jamie mentioned this, but in this time, uh, Emperor Claudius had actually kicked out all Jews out of Rome. And so uh, a few years later, Claudius dies and the Jews start coming back into Rome. And so he's writing into a church where Jews are coming back into what is now primarily a Gentile church. There might be some tension there. And so Paul is trying to unite them under the kingdom. He's saying, hey, Jews, you used to be under the law, but Jesus has changed your very nature by the cross. And so you're a kingdom person. Now, Gentiles used to be alienated from God, lost without hope, but Jesus has changed your very nature through the cross, and so now you are a kingdom person. And so now together, Jews and Gentiles, you are kingdom people together. And so this message is, a one, is one of unity, and I think it's important, you know, a kingdom message about a new kingdom that's under Jesus that brings people together. I mean, guys, we're 12 days after an election. I think we need this, right? This is like a relevant message today. And so hear everything that I'm saying today through the message of kingdom, of bringing people together, and unification. Third, why is this, this kingdom and now not yet important? Because this worldview would change everything. Because I think what happens sometimes is we just think we need to, we need to know more about God, right? If we could just know Romans 5 through 8 and we could just get that down, then everything would be different. But, but here's what I think you can know Romans 5 through 8. You can memorize every single word, but if you miss the kingdom aspect, then you're not going to live it out in your life. It just becomes another belief that you have. And so I want, I want us to rise above just believing the right things. Yes, we want to do that, right? But not only that, you are a part of this thing. You are called into it to be a kingdom citizen who lives a kingdom lifestyle. But there's a few common Christian worldviews that I think get in the way of this kingdom mindset. And so I want to tell you a few of them right now. The first one I would say it's called the waiting room. That if I had to explain it, it would be that, that earth is down here. And the kingdom of God, heaven, is up there. They're about as far away as possible. And really this life is just waiting around, right? There's going to be lots of twists and turns. There's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. But at the end of the day, I'm really just waiting for the moment that I die so I can go to heaven someday, right? That's one way to think about the world as a Christian. The next one would be kind of like an exam. I'm just trying to be really, really good. You never know when the exam might stop. So make sure you're doing something good when it does, right? And if I get a thumbs up, boom, I get to go to heaven, right? If I get a thumbs down, didn't pass the test. Sorry, you don't get to go, right? That's another way to think about this thing. Another way would be kind of like a game, right? I don't really know exactly what I'm doing. There's so many different options. There's so many different things to do. And so I'm just going to pick an option and just hope it works out for the best. And I'll just try to entertain myself to death so I don't have to think about the important things that I don't know what's going on, right? But here's what I feel like Paul is, is asking us to come into, this worldview, and I would call it the thin place. This is a kingdom worldview that we see all, all this life like this, that the earth and heaven have actually started to overlap through the person of Jesus Christ and what happened on the cross, right? And so you and I can actually live in the overlap, the thin place between heaven and earth. And, and when we start doing this, we start living this kingdom lifestyle, 
it would really change everything about who we are, how we talk, how we interact with other people, right? This is a worldview that changes everything. And so Paul is calling us into this as we go to Romans 8, verse 17 through 39. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to go ahead and open it to Romans 8. This is what Paul is trying to say. He's trying to call us into a kingdom mindset, worldview, living. But not only that, he's trying to make sure that we know that the kingdom is now and it's not yet. That Jesus has come and he's won the victory. He's inaugurated the kingdom, but we, we don't experience the kingdom in its fullness yet. There's going to be a fulfilled time of the kingdom someday where there are new heavens and the new earth become one. And there's no longer anything that, uh, that is not of God, right? But, but right now we're working it out through the church. And this is what it looks like to be a kingdom person is that we are a now and not yet people. And because of that, there's both tension and glory, right? And this is what I feel, think Paul is trying to say during this passage is that there's a tension in the now and not yet. We still have a lot of tensions that we experience, right? Not everything is perfect right now. And yet there's also a glory of the now and not yet because the kingdom is now. And again, if we don't, if we lose the kingdom worldview, then we're going to miss out on the now. If it's all just stuff we know, we, we memorized everything in Romans, but we're not, we're not looking at it through a kingdom mindset, then we're all about the not yet. I want to be about the now and the not yet, right? Okay, I'm going to read Romans 8, and let me just pray as I start here so that uh, I can ask the Holy Spirit to make these words alive to us. Jesus, we love you so much, Lord, and we pray that you would bless this reading of your word, God. We love you. We honor you, God. And would you help us uh, hear what you're trying to say this morning, Lord? Would you speak through me today as we go to the scripture in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, I'm going to read verse uh, 17 through 30. I know that's a long passage, but do whatever you need to do in order to pay attention. Read along, read your own Bible, close your eyes. I don't care what you do. Just, uh, you got this. I believe in you. Okay, uh, verse 17 here, Romans 8. And if we're children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Amen. All right. So what is Paul really trying to say here? I think as you read this part of Romans 8, you're seeing a lot of tension. And I don't want us to get bummed out by all the tensions I'm about to name, but I really want it to free us up. 
right? That you're not the only one experiencing these tensions in the now and not yet, right? Even Paul was experiencing this. And so I'm going to walk through what are the tensions that Paul is really highlighting here? Well, the first one, verse 17 and 18, is suffering, right? He says that if we are heirs with Christ, then we will suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. Okay, so the Christian life involves suffering, right? If it hasn't come yet in your life, then it will. It involves suffering. It's going to happen. But, but why? I think Paul is hitting on the why is there suffering. Well, he's saying if you are an heir with Christ, then it means that your life is going to look like his life. And his life had a trajectory of humility and self-giving all the way down to a death on a cross, a criminal's cross, right? And so Jesus' life is cross-shaped. There is suffering along the way, right? And so if you and I are really going to live this life, then we too have to be cross-shaped. We have to go on this journey with Jesus through suffering. And so, hey, we may complain now of the sufferings that are going on in our life, but I love that Paul says, hey, when, when you get to the end, when you get to, to the fulfillment of the kingdom, there's going to be a glory that doesn't just outweigh the sufferings. It's going to laugh them off the scale, right? It's going to be so wonderful when we are in the glory fully revealed with Jesus that it doesn't matter what we go through now. And so have hope today, right? We're saying Jesus is our living hope. Have hope today that there is a glory coming, even if you're in the suffering. The next one, verse 19 through 21, is corruption, right? Uh, creation was subjected to corruption, Paul says. And I think, um, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, why is the earth seeming to fall apart, right? Like, did God create a Ford Pinto instead of a Maserati, right? Is that really what happened? Or is there something else going on, right? And I think that there's probably something else going on. And Paul says, yeah, no way. That was not the intention, right? But it was subjected to corruption by the power of sin, by the sin, the power that we gave sin when we started making idols, right? All of creation has been subjected to corruption. There's decay. And yet just like the mystery has been revealed that we can be free from sin, there's going to be a day where all of creation is freed from corruption to be what it was truly meant to be, to be a place filled with, with God's glory, like a temple across all the earth. The next tension is pain. Verse 22, it says creation has not just been corrupted, but it is going through the pain of childbirth. And I don't feel like I'm allowed to preach about the pain of childbirth, if we're being honest. Uh, but Paul did, so way to go, Paul. I'm just going to go through your metaphor here. Uh, there's pain in this life, right? And uh, there's pain, and there's no getting around that. But I love that he uses this metaphor of pregnancy, right? Because pregnancy is a now and not yet situation, right? Because the minute that you find out you're pregnant, everything has changed. I mean, you, you, like, you know the rest of your life is going to be different. You kind of know the baby because it's your flesh and blood. You kind of see the baby because the belly starts getting bigger, right? But, but the moment that that baby comes out into the world, it's a whole new level of life has changed because you can hold your baby and you can see your baby and you know your baby in a whole different way. And so I think what Paul is trying to say is that just like the kingdom, all of creation is going through pregnancy and childbirth. And there's going to be a day when it is, is coming in fulfillment, and it's going to be awesome. There's going to be no more pain someday. How incredible is that? I can't imagine that, if we're being honest. I have no idea what that's like. But it's going to happen. It's a now and not yet situation. Verse 24 and 25, the next tension is waiting. Paul says, we have hope, but if we have hope, it means that we're waiting for something, right? And waiting is just the worst. I hate waiting. I'm sorry. Like, if I tell you to wait, you get mad, I get mad, everybody gets mad, everybody's just, it, waiting is never good, right? But Paul is saying, hey, we don't wait uh, in vain. 
right? We wait with a hope. This is an active waiting, not like the waiting room worldview, but we're waiting with hope that Jesus is coming in the present. We're going to experience him now. And yet there's going to be a day where it is fulfilled. Last tension here, verse 26 and 27, it's weakness. I like that Paul doesn't even try and convince us because it's so obvious that we're weak, right? There's just weakness in our hearts, but Paul instead speaks life into you and says, hey, when you feel most weak that you don't know what to say, you don't even know what to pray, the Holy Spirit is going to intercede for you. Did you know that the Holy Spirit lives inside you? I mean, this is incredible. You are weak, and yet the presence of God is inside of you. The thing that people long for, for, for generations and generations, to just be in God's presence. You know, back, back in the day, right, they had the temple, and only a few could actually enter God's presence. And yet, the very presence of God is inside of you right now. That is unbelievable. You are weak. Yeah, you are. And yet the Holy Spirit, his power is inside of you. That is good news, right? And you know what that means is that you are a thin place. Like we always say, I want to be in a thin place, right? I want heaven to touch earth. I want to be in that worship set because it's a thin place. And yet you are a thin place because the Holy Spirit is inside of you. The presence of God, like the thing that we search for, it's like it is in you. And so how much, how much does that open up the possibility of this life? Right, that the now can actually be real because the Holy Spirit is inside of me. I'm like a living, walking temple. Okay, it's good news. And here's where Paul kind of turns the corner here. In verse 28 through 30, I love this promise that Paul says, which is that God works for your good, for the good of those who love him, right? That, and I love that, that he kind of finishes up the tension section here by saying, God is always working on your behalf. Because no matter what's going on in your life, no matter if you felt one of those tensions or all of them, or maybe you're currently going through something right now, you can know that the Father has your best in mind. And the Father is working through it. And you can't see it. You can see the tension. You can feel the tension. And yet God is working. This is a promise that we can hold on to. Right? I love that. And here is where Paul comes to one of the most amazing, joyful passages in all of Scripture. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Turn again to your Scripture and we'll, we'll read it together. Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Wow. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. He was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, that is, that is the word. You're wondering, what does God have to say to me today? That's what he has to say. Right there, right? His, it's just, there's so many things you could say, but I gotta stay on, I gotta stay on track here. All right. Uh, and so there's so many things you could say. It's an incredible passage, but I feel like there's three things specifically that God wants to speak today. 
Here's the first one. These are kind of kingdom principles, if you will. The first one is that kingdom people are not captive to worry because God is for us. Right, right there in, right there at the front. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what that reminds me of is when I was a kid and we would go places. If my dad was there, then I was good. Right? I knew that if my dad was there, I was going to be safe because he was for me. And I hope you grew up with someone like that, a dad, a mom, a friend, whatever, whoever it was. But when I was with my dad, it didn't matter where we were or what we were doing. I felt good. And I think that Paul is speaking that into us, that God is for you. So what does it really matter who's against you? Right? People are going to be against you. This is a paradox. People are going to be against you, and yet you can say that God is for me, so who's against me? Right? This is an incredible, incredible principle to live by. Like if we actually do that, because our culture is going to remind you what to worry about every few seconds. And you can give your life to that. That's a trajectory of your life, just thinking about the worries of this life. Or you can trust that God is for me. And so I'm good. I'm good. Next kingdom principle. Kingdom people are not captive to consumerism because God will give us all that we need. It says he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us also. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I'm talking about a worldview of consumerism. So there's consumerism that's like, I just want more stuff. I want to make more money, all this kind of thing. But I'm even talking like consumerist relationships. You just, you have a relationship with somebody so you can get something from them right? Or, uh, or consumerist Christianity, right? I'm just going to go to church and get spoon-fed some moral truth from a church staff, and then I'll be good, right? This, this a worldview that I just need to get, right? And, and Paul's saying, hey, God will give you everything that you need. He will graciously give you all things. Do you trust him to do that? Do you trust him that, this, that consumerism doesn't have to be your portion, that God can be your source for love, and acceptance, and provision, and all these things that we seek to get from other people. When, I, when God's really my source, I don't need it from y'all. I don't need your acceptance. I don't need your love. I, I want it, but like I don't need it, right? Because God is my source, and that frees us up to love people, like in a real way, right? Not just like, I love you, but like, I really love you, and I'll be there with you at your worst, because I'm not looking to you to give me what God has already given me. Kingdom, <laughs> come on now. Uh, Kingdom principle three, kingdom people are not captive to feelings because nothing in all of creation can separate you from the love of God, right? I mean, this is the incredible verse here that everybody always talks about, but what does this really mean? It means that we don't have to be captive to what we feel. And we live in a time, and you know this because you feel it, literally, that we are, we are a captive to our feelings. It's an epidemic in our world, right? That I have to feel something in order to believe it's true. And so for many of us, I think our feelings actually manage us more than we manage our feelings, right? And many, probably many of us in this room, because it's the culture that we're a part of, it's the air that we breathe. And so if we're really going to believe Romans 8, and we're going to walk out of this place changed, and we're going to be kingdom people, then we have to be liberated from our feelings. And, and here's the deal, guys, is that um, there's two ways to approach truth. You could say, yeah, that's true, and I believe it, and I receive it, and I live it out in my life. There's also another way that says, I, I believe it's true, but it's kind of a distant truth for somebody else. And if you are, if you are a captive to your feelings, you might have heard the first part of Romans 8 here, the tension, you might have really received that. Like, yes, I feel that all the time. I feel that tension. I receive it. But you heard this last part as kind of a distant truth. I'm not, you're not saying it's false. It's true, but I just don't really feel it. And so therefore, it's not really for me. That's for somebody else. 
right? But I'm begging you to, to ask the Lord to liberate you from those feelings and to believe this is true no matter what. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel, to believe that the love of God, you have access to it. That there's nothing, no person, no circumstance, no feeling that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I mean, that is a beautiful place to be, right? When we can say, yes, God wants me to experience him and feel his love. God wants you to feel his love. And yet I can trust it even on my worst day. The day that I feel like garbage, I can trust that the love of God, I'm not separated from it. And so, uh, it's a, uh, yes, it's a paradox, right? That even when people come against you, they're not against you. When people uh, bring charges against you, God is the judge. When it feels like you're so far from God, he is right here. This is the good news that Paul is preaching. God loves you so much. And I want you to hear that today. Because you could have been here all five weeks of this series, heard every word of Romans 5 through 8, and yet if you, do, if you don't know God loves you, then you've missed it, right? And, and so, I, like, you can, again, you can memorize this whole, you can memorize the whole Bible if you want, but if you don't get to the point of knowing God loves you, that's it. Like, God loves you, and that's pretty much all that this is trying to say. God loves you so much. It's about God's love. And so nothing, there's nothing that you can even think of in your mind that's better than who God is. You can't even, you can't even comprehend something better than God's love. And so, and so his love is for you this morning. This word is for you this morning. If you are living and breathing in this room, then this is for you, right? And I want to finish as I close this morning. I want to share one more worldview that my wife actually helped me see. And it's actually, it's very common in Christian uh, circles because it's so close to the thin place worldview, the kingdom worldview. And I'm going to call it the museum because in this worldview, uh, you are no longer living in the middle. You're living on the outside. You, you totally believe that God is doing something. You totally believe that God has done incredible things. And you walk around and you look at exhibits of what God has done. You say, wow, that's incredible. You see other people living in that thin place of the kingdom. And you say, that's incredible. I love watching them do that. And yet that's all it is. It's just something to observe and not something to live out. It's just something to, to observe and not, actually, uh, and not actually take and receive for your life right now. And so I believe that God is calling us to take a step towards him today, to take a step into the thin place, because the whole point of Romans, the whole message is that the mystery has been, re- has been revealed that there are no outsiders anymore. There are no outsiders anymore. And so you don't have to live on the outside of this kingdom life. You do not have to, to watch as other people experience God and say, I wish that was for me. It is for you. You can step into the thin place. And so worship team, uh, I'm going to ask you guys to go ahead and come up. Ministry team and everybody just go ahead and stand up here as we turn to a time of response and ministry. This is one of the most important things that will ever happen in your life, if I could just say it really dramatically, right? Uh, as we respond to God, this is where the things of the kingdom actually happen, right? And uh, you could hear a lot of great things about the Lord, but if you don't, if you're not saying, hey, I want it, Lord, if you're not calling on his name, then, then we're going to miss something, right? And so as we go into the time of ministry, I want to encourage you, come get some prayer, if you, uh, there's a couple of different ways to respond. If you maybe feel like you have not been living a kingdom life, that you're not looking at all the world as this thin place or this kingdom life, uh, and you want to take a step towards him today, come get some prayer. These people want to pray for you. They want to pray for the tensions you're experiencing and ask God to bring the glory that he has for you. Uh, another thing is if you're, you're just experiencing a lot of this tension, 
and you're suffering today, then please come to the front and get some prayer. Find somebody you came with to pray for you uh, because we're not meant to go through this alone. There is tension, but we're not meant to go through it alone. And lastly, if there's just anything in your life that you need prayer for, you need someone to come alongside you and fight for you, fight with you, then please don't leave this place without getting prayer. Uh, We want you to meet with the Lord. So I'm going to pray for us, and then please feel free to come to the front. Jesus, we love you. Uh, You are our king, Lord, and we're so thankful that your love is better than life itself. God, and I'm asking right now that you would show up and fill up this place, Lord, because we're a bunch of thin places walking around in here. Lord, so I'm asking that you'd fill us with your Holy Spirit and help us see the glory, the love that you have for us, even in the midst of a now and not yet suffering, Jesus. Would you come, Lord, and meet us in this place? We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please come get some prayer.